Hi, and welcome to Optimistic Design, a podcast where we take a practical, positive look at the future of design, ethical innovation, and technology. I'm your host, Wilma Lamp, Strategy Director at Substantial, and today I'm excited to be chatting with Dr. Ijoma Azoto, who brings together service and systems design with her expertise in surgical care, health research, and patient-centered outcomes to build digital healthcare experiences. Dr. Azoto is the Associate Director of Service Design at NHS Education Scotland Technology Service, Honorary Clinical Tutor with the Surgical Sciences at the University of Edinburgh, and Council Member in the Faculty of Clinical Informatics. Dr. Azoto, welcome to Optimistic Design. Hi, Wilma. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited to have you join us. I mean, obviously, healthcare and especially design innovation healthcare has been a huge topic over the last few years. And I'm especially interested in, in understanding at more of like a global level, considering that you work with the NHS, kind of how this has evolved over the last few years. Maybe to start by grounding our conversation, you originally trained and practiced as a surgeon, which I think is a really unique background for coming into design innovation. What inspired you to shift your career focus from surgery to thinking about digital innovation and design for healthcare? For me, it's an extension, although a pivot, in my surgical practice and career. Quite quite a lot of what we do in surgical practice is work within a system. So we might see people at the point of care, there's a trauma, there's cancer, there's a hernia, there's a condition, but we also work backwards to understand how the person got to our clinic. Have they gotten there in time for us to make a difference in their care and in their life? And also, what are the systems around them that, again, might prevent some people needing surgical care? Again, we know that that's a limited resource, how many people you can operate on in a given year, in a given system, in a given day. So what we're really looking at is creating a system where people get surgical care when they need it. If there's something else where they might avoid surgery because it's not needed, how can we do that? And so really this idea of systems-based practice is really baked into surgery all the way through. I had this opportunity to work at the systems level, which is something that I've always wanted to do. So through a series of both fortunate and unfortunate events, I was able to I was able to make that pivot and make that shift. And as you're going through that pivot, what shaped your learning and understanding of like design, innovation and technology and its role in healthcare? Yeah, I would say first and foremost, it's my surgical training. So I did my liver and cancer, liver cancer and transplant fellowship at the Royal Infirmary of Edinburgh. And they, the team there is very similar to where I trained in Mayo Clinic in the States in that there's a real focus on applying an intervention where it's going to have the best effect and then really looking at what are our outcomes, is that the best treatment, how are we doing, so really continuously looking at our practice. And for that, you need data. And I think that that's where, in a very simple level, technology comes in because you're looking at what's the difference between different surgeons, different types of patients, people who live in different parts of the city, transfer. So you're looking at all of those to see where you can affect change. You know, are people in one part of the city doing worse than the other part of the city? And what is that? Is that the intervention or is it something having to do with the environment and other social determinants of health? And so we look outside our scope of immediate care, meaning the person right in front of us to see how is it that we can be better And so between Edinburgh and Mayo Clinic, that was the same ethos of our work. And so that's why I say that this working in NES technology service is really 
an extension of my practice working more at the systems level. How can we support and enable people with technology to understand what interventions are going to be helpful? And then I think particularly from surgery, we're used to working with tools, you know, whether that's forceps, scissors, um, stitches, um, or complex things like robots. We're really attuned to how do our tools support us in our work to provide care, the experience of care, and most of all, the outcomes for a beneficial impact. I can actually definitely see now that you've laid it out that way. I hadn't thought about surgery as kind of being a systems design problem, but it's a really interesting lens that you're able to bring to that. I hadn't thought about that before. And so you're currently Associate Director of Clinical and Health Service Design at NHS Education Scotland's Technology Service. Being stateside, I'm not super familiar with how the NHS is organized from an organizational level. Can you explain where NES Technology Service sits within the broader healthcare ecosystem in Scotland? Absolutely. So NES Technology Service, we sit in NHS Education for Scotland and NES for short, is the special board of the NHS. So it has a national remit for education and training across all of Scotland. So coordination of training, placement, licensing, things like that. So that would be kind of like a licensing body for a state, except for it covers all of Scotland in terms of like like training and education. And there are other special boards, again, that have national remit. So we have Public Health Scotland, National Services Scotland that does a lot around data and technology as well, and the Scottish Ambulance Services. So all of those are special boards. The rest of the NHS, there's 14 health boards that are divided into geographic areas that cover all of Scotland. So there's no area of Scotland that's not covered by a health board. And you have different city regions that are embedded within that so that you have a local authority or a city area, and that's covered by a health board. So regional versus National, And you might think of some of the NHS health boards, like some of the big regional systems. So like Kaiser Permanente, even Mayo Clinic or Intermountain. So those big sort of health systems that cover areas of, of the country, if they were all knit together across the United States with no drops and complete coverage, that would be like the NHS. That's a really helpful explanation. So then I'm wondering, so the NES technology or NES technology service in particular was set up by the Scottish government in 2018 following the publication of the digital health and care strategy for Scotland. Can you talk a little bit about what the digital health and care strategy for Scotland is and the mission of NES technology service? Yeah, so what came out across Scotland in 2018 was a plan to provide the right information at the right time to the right people. And out of that, the the NES Technology Service, we've gone through a name name change, but we're an organization that's one of many across Scotland um, charged with building the the national digital platform. And that's going to be a conglomerate of products, services, and capabilities to really help support people all through life um, using digital services, understanding that digital is going to be core to the way we deliver healthcare and social services. But in the 2021 iteration, the digital health and care strategy, again, just builds on the 2018 strategy. And that focuses around the right care at the right place and the right time. Now, that's a really good model. And I think one thing I was curious about when we had first connected and I learned a little bit more about your team is with this mission to enable excellent care by creating tools, services, and digital infrastructure for kind of the right care at the right time, as you mentioned, usually people think of like a healthcare system as being 
all basically healthcare providers, but the technology service team is a multidisciplinary team. Can you talk about how this team has been assembled and in particular, like your role within Nest Technology Service? I came onto the team when it was almost two years old. And what we are is a team of designers, clinicians, engineers, you know, product managers, and then core expertise around health and care. So whether that's clinic clinicians, uh, knowledge management and discovery, so education and learning and elements of the workforce. And wherever that sort of insight or foresight came from, I, I don't I don't know, but it brings together, you know, all that's excellent about the NHS and knowing knowledge, you know, like deep, deep knowledge of the NHS. But with the idea around design and technology of being able to build and iterate, we have in-house development uh, capabilities so that there's things that we can build and stand up within our expertise. That's just part of our, our day job. And so bringing that whole team together again is that idea of having engineering and technology and product kind of at the elbow, as I've heard a couple of people say, while care and health and social services are going on. It's almost to try and offload that information, offload the the problems, the things that people need onto the service for us to support and build and bring that back to people, but also focusing on the infrastructure. What's the infrastructure for that to be used, I suppose, across Scotland or across large regions and continue to support existing health boards and services and communities that are already there. I mean, I think it's a really innovative, collaborative model to bring all of these disciplines in-house, I think, especially in a in a government healthcare organization. I'm curious, like, so your role specifically, as I understand it, involves end-to-end care and partnership between patients, health and social care professionals working towards creating a more kind of holistic ecosystem, as you mentioned, you know, for better health, better care and improved well-being And one of the important concepts that you've kind of mentioned before when we've caught up is this idea of care as a core business. Can you talk about what that means and and like in your role, how you think about that? Yeah, I think that that's my my framing of what we do is that the technology and the business and the design are in service of care. So if I were to take an example from me being a surgeon If I operate on 100 people with appendicitis and none of them go home, then it doesn't matter that I've done 100 operations. What the end-to-end service is that a person comes in, say, with appendicitis, and I want them to get back home or I want them to get back to work or I want them to get back to school or I want them to get back to retirement. So that's actually the outcome that I'm looking for is how many people came through the system that got to that end outcome that they care about. And then if you go backwards, then you look at all the systems aspects of that that let you know that you're on the right track. So appendicitis is maybe a short stay in the hospital, one or two days, and then people are back home. So you can close that cycle quite quickly. But a lot of the things that we're doing in health and care and social services have a long have a long tail on them. We want to look at some of the progress markers to know that we're in the right direction, that people go home, that people aren't spending a lot of time in intensive care. And so as part of that, it's that you deliver or support a care, but you provide a digital service that supports health, health and care. What are the steps in between that let you know that you're going in the right direction? 
and some of it is people's experience of the whole thing. And so there's a lot around digital experience. Did people feel looked after? Did people feel supported? And then your final outcomes, were they actually supported? Did they make it back home? Did they have no complications? Were they able to receive their benefits? Was there a lot of hassle with getting their benefits? Did they have to reapply four or five times? So I think the core metrics around what we're doing are not different because we're digital. It's have we provided a service? Have we provided that service with care? One of the metrics that can be helpful in terms of looking at this is the IHI, so Institute for Health Improvement, you know, things like effectiveness, timeliness, equity, safety. Those are all the things that I want us to look at when we're looking at a service is are we doing those, you know, six primary things that are needed in care services, including experience, not just applying a technology. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, what it sounds like to me is starting to bring some of these like frameworks and techniques, which might have been originally created for digital product and service design and applying it to healthcare, which is a very large, complex system, thinking about, you know, patient journeys end to end. But I think also with what you just mentioned, starting to think about this idea of like experience principles at kind of like a healthcare system level, which I think is like extremely unique. So then when you think about what you're working on more day to day, like what are the skill sets that you feel are are most important in the work that you're currently doing? I find this one a challenging one only because it's it's reading, writing and analysis. I I spend a lot of time, you know, speaking with people, looking for patterns and connections across their needs, their tools, the gaps, because we're thinking about systems and infrastructure. We're looking to build something that works for a lot of people. And when we do that, we want to make sure that we're applying, you know, an equitable lens to it. Is the infrastructure accessible to everyone? Is that accessible across the whole geography? Um, What are some of the barriers? So again, that we're building something that scales, but is also useful. Yeah. So with this idea of scale. I think it is unique to be on a team that's embedded within NHS Scotland. And I imagine that their team's ability to drive innovation is different because of that level of collaboration and being embedded. Could you talk a little bit about how your team is kind of uniquely positioned and a partner in order to prototype and, and test new ideas? Yeah, I think that's one of the huge benefits is that we are within the NHS. And so things around confidentiality, privacy, procurement, a lot of the strict processes that the NHS has in place in order to use our information well, use our position well, use our information well. Because we're in the NHS, we know those things and we follow them. And again, because it's the work we do is part of our normal working day, There are small experiments and small tests that we can do with our partners across the NHS that would be difficult, if not impossible, if we were outside. So again, it's that being within the system and knowing what the system, knowing what the system wants. So we're all working towards the same thing. And so really it's, it's focusing on the coordination of all of our collaboration in order to do that. 
So I imagine over the last few years, there's been a change in the global acceleration of healthcare innovation due to the pandemic and the needs of managing care during the pandemic. And you mentioned like the earlier mandate of setting up the technology service. I'm guessing that that's really accelerated in terms of pace and, and focus over the last few years as there's a shift now in thinking about how healthcare is delivered, the rise in need of telehealth, mobile clinics, and new digital touch points of, of care over the last few years. Have there been like fundamental shifts in relationships between patients and healthcare providers from, from what you've seen? I'm not like directly in clinics and in the hospitals. And that's one of the things that we've all noticed as a shift. Part of what we anticipated our working would be is working right next to people, observing them, working with patients, you know, in their back processes. And all of that has changed. So as some of our legal regulations around COVID have now been released, we're starting to go back into the health and care spaces and see how people are working. But also the healthcare workforce is now sort of readjusting how they're delivering care. So it's in this space that's in a bit of transition and it's hard to know what the new set state is going to be. To some extent, it has been easier to connect with people, both for research and um, working with partners, because we can do that virtually. You know, so people that live outside of Edinburgh, where I'm based, I can reach them over a phone call and over, you know, virtual teams. So that has made it easier to make connections with people. You'll know with a lot of the, the design, there's things that people don't say or people, things that people say they do that are different to how they actually use things. So it's being able to disconfirm and triangulate what you're learning to how it actually is in practice, where I'm I'm not sure what's going to happen and how it's going to, how it's going to unfold now. So in addition to like core shifts in in healthcare, which I think has impacted the way in which you and your team are doing research and thinking about innovation, there's also been kind of core technological innovation outside of the healthcare industry that that may be disrupting it. I'm thinking of everything from NFTs to all this conversation about the metaverse now. Uh, What are your thoughts on what comes next for digital innovation in the healthcare sphere? That's a great question. I suppose I'm looking at all of those references as well to see what's going to land. I really do think that we're in this transition state. You know, one of the things that I'm watching quite closely are things that are happening in intensive care or acute care and critical care. And the reason for that for me is that the cycle of applying a change to seeing an outcome is much quicker than the community. As you know, I mentioned before, you just have smaller time cycles to see an effect. And so looking at some of the innovations I've seen in intensive care, mostly around COVID care and predicting outcomes, is looking at their challenges with sustaining the innovation and changes that they've made funding for the innovation and changes that they've made around watching COVID wards and capacity and managing flows of patients. So now that some of the main excitement around COVID has kind of slowed, what needs to keep going and how is that going to be funded? So I think that's something that will cascade out to the broader community. I'm looking at communications and communication approaches So we've done a lot of stuff virtually over the last two years around learning internally and externally 
and education. And so, you know, where's that going to land now? I made a conscious effort in terms of growing a network and maintaining a network because it's something I understood I needed when I started working outside of the the hospital environment. So when you're in the hospital environment, you have your colleagues you learn from, you have your regular meetings around practice development, M&M, all of those things that if you just go through your normal day, you'll be up to date, you'll understand what's new, you'll understand what your challenges are. So how do you do that when we're in this hybrid world? When you're not in an office, how do younger people learn how to work, how to develop, how to be mentored? So all of those things, again, I think uh, are a small microcosm if I look at, I look at that. I'm looking at some of the things to keep. So, you know, some of the things that are anchors to people are material things. We had a bit of that, a conversation around the book, Reimagining Design, Kevin Bethune's book that's just come out. But materiality and physicality, he has a background in engineering design and sneakers and the meaning of material objects in a virtual world. So I think it's going to be interesting one of the things that's always struck me about patients I've cared for and even now is the uh, the paper. So whether that's a letter from your general practitioner, whether that's your vaccine certificate, whether that's your prescription. So those artifacts of care that have always been really important to people, what's happening to those now? Because they were all things that gave people a sense of control over what happened to me, what to do next, who to call. And so when that's virtual, like what does that do or does that need to stay physical? And then really around a lot of the shifts, again, out of the traditional institutions. I remember when a lot of surgical practice went to day surgery. And one of the things that we realized was the the sequence of, of care. So you might come in the night before or in like the real olden days, the week before and get prepped for surgery. Some of that was you learning how to look after yourself when you left the hospital, right? How to get up, when to take your pen medicine, when to eat, when to lie down. You had support from the nurses and the team, you know, to see if you could do it yourself. And now that we don't have that kind of at all, it's just in and out. You don't have that learning period, even though it's not called learning. So how do we do that now when there's an expectation for people to manage everything at home or outside of the hospital without a lot of, you know, expert guidance, but there's no, there hasn't been that deliberate bridge to this is how you do it. This is what to expect. So those are the kinds of things I'm looking at to see how we make that transition. No, I think definitely, you know, these are all big topics and in, in healthcare. And I think when, when we first met, I was working doing healthcare design as well. So I think these core principles around behavior change in healthcare and, and understanding how to meet patients, you know, where, where they are at this point in time. You've also mentioned a few times in this conversation so far, a focus on healthcare equity and making sure that things are equitable for, for all patients, you know, no matter where they come from or what background they may have. And I'm, and I'm curious, I think, especially because the conversation on equity has really evolved over the last few years. How do you think about building in principles for design and technology around behavior change, around equity for all patients? Yeah, I mean, I think part of what you, you mentioned briefly is meet people where they are. You know, that's what you would do one-to-one is, you know, understand what people understood 
about their condition or their care and their role in it and kind of bring them up to a level and offer them, you know, as much support as you can. And some people are quite independent, want to read it or know it, have had it before. And so it's really how do you look at your systems and your infrastructure to to assure that you have a baseline level for everyone. And so part of that, again, I think for me, goes back to care as core business is how do you care for everybody? But if you look from the design perspective, it's really paying attention to who are your users and then also the intersections of your different users. So, you know, some of the things that I'm looking at are age, gender, some of the traditional social determinants of health. But I think one of the things that's coming to the fore a lot more now is digital as a social determinant of health. And if you look at that from the very macro level around infrastructure and access, all the way down to the product or the experience level of experience and accessibility, again, it's knowing who you're designing for and within your design process, attending to all of those things. I think there's something about designing from multiple intersections that allows you to to really do so with high fidelity and design something that's equitable, but it's you know, understanding who your users are, the scope and the spread of your users, and then where are they to to do your testing and prototyping and iterating. As we've talked through these ways of working, like you shared a lot of deep insight into, you know, how to approach design and healthcare and the kind of research you've done as, as well as like being part of the technology service team. In kind of your view, what do you feel the relationship is between design, research, and technology when it comes to healthcare? So design, research, and technology. So the design is in, is in service of the care that you're offering. I think research is the thread that runs through the design all the way through, right? At each of the process, you're going to have your ultimate outcome or your impact is that the person gets home, the person lives well, and then you'll have your intermediate outcomes. How do you know that they're going there? So they've left the hospital in the right amount of time, They've had a good experience of being in the hospital and technology is the thing that both allows you to measure what's going on. So whether that's using data to look at your outcomes, to visualize who's using the product, where are they using the product, where are they not using the product? Is that because, you know, their passwords don't work and everyone is locked out? Is that because, you know, a system is down? And then you're looking at what's the distribution. So if you were looking at competency, you know, is everybody that's competent to to give a certain procedure, are they doing it? What is the variation in the gaps? Is it all senior people that are using that particular skill or is it all junior people? So that's where technology, I think, helps you understand, are you headed in the right direction? But technology can also be part of your intervention How are you building your infrastructure? What are you using? Do people know how to use it? So that's the two levels that I think come from surgical practice is it's both your how well are we doing and what tools are we using to do it? No, that's really helpful. I don't think the research is separate to it. And I think one of the things I would advocate is that there is a stream of pragmatic research through health services, health products, health interventions. Is that that stream that allows you to understand, are we making progress towards our intended outcome and impact before it's 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line. There's a lot you can learn and adjust. And that really goes into the 
you know, kind of engineering and product idea around agile design and iteration and prototyping. You need feedback to understand what to iterate to. And we had touched upon earlier, I mean, working with the NHS, obviously there's there's like scale of kind of like the work that you're doing, but it's also an environment where there's a high level of regulation as you're thinking about scale. And could you talk about how you maybe consider like both of those things, both large scale and, you know, the need for regulation? Yeah, I think the regulation is benefit or a bonus. It gives you the constraint to work to work through or work around. And so there are a lot of statutory obligations around information governance, software as a medical device, clinical safety, so things that are kind that are things we must do. And I think that that scopes down the imagination to what is needed, what is safe, what is beneficial you know, what protects confidentiality, what sets out the use for data. So I've always thought that that's a good thing. It forces you to be creative. You can't, one can't just do anything with the information and the products and services. And I think that that's very much a good thing. And I think it also brings things, brings whatever you're building back to the idea that it's a service within a particular discipline. And that discipline has practice standards governance and regulations. And so, you know, if you flip it on its head, I think the the regulations are to enforce the standards of care, the standards of practice and the governance rather than the other way. They're not arbitrary. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think often, you know, in the field of design, people talk about the importance of having good constraints. I think in helping drive creativity and I definitely feel like in healthcare, that's certainly true. The constraints are important and invaluable. I'm also curious to so you, you know, you've changed careers quite a few times, a number of, of pivots as we talked about earlier in our conversation. So you've had the opportunity to kind of see healthcare, you know, as a surgeon, as an educator, as a healthcare entrepreneur, and now in kind of a service design and system design role, kind of how have you seen healthcare evolve in terms of innovation over the course of your career? It's, it's definitely gotten faster in terms of the applications, not necessarily the innovation. So there's things that we're working on bringing into practice now that I've used during my training. So, you know, I think in healthcare, the the lore, the legend is it takes about 15 years for an innovation to come into practice. And some of that is because, because it's highly regulated, you know, because these have an effect directly on people, people are healthcare practitioners are perhaps relatively slow to change because of the potential for adverse outcomes or people to be harmed. And so you practice the way you know until you learn and you know know better. And so I think that that opportunity for sharing techniques and innovation and knowledge has gotten easier. So things are changing over a bit, a bit faster. It's, it's a space that I think is really exciting because you can see a lot of benefits a lot quicker. I think that in the way I'd been able to practice as a clinician, being able to see my practice and the process and the outcomes and make changes a lot quicker is always beneficial for patients and knowing that things aren't working. But I think it definitely takes this like introduction of people to what's new. People need to be part of it, whether that's from the public side or the professional side. It has to be clear how it's going to support their practice or their life. 
and how how do they troubleshoot what's going on uh, when it doesn't go to plan the first time? But really, how do you involve people in design from the outset? So maybe building off this idea of where healthcare innovation is evolving, I'm curious from, from your position now and having seen the evolution of this over your career, what is top of mind now as you think about the future of design and innovation in healthcare? What are you optimistic about? What I'm op- optimistic about is the environment so that there's this concerted focus on place, right? And the place people are being cared for is shifting out of the traditional general practitioners or the hospital for the most part, and that's been a push by COVID. But I'm really excited about this opportunity and this growing, this growing belief that people should be supported to live their life well and work well and use technology to do that. And so again, what are the environments and structures that are needed for people to be how they are and you know thrive and, and do well? And so I think that that being the environment and that being captured in policy and strategy for me is a very good place to be in. Thank you so much, Dr. Azoto, for joining me today. It's really informative conversation. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. And thank you everyone out there for listening. To learn more about the Nest Technology Service, you can click on links that'll be posted on our show notes, which will go to the Digital Health and Care Strategy Plan and the NHS Recovery Plan, along with other links, which Dr. Azoto has mentioned in our conversation today. To follow along and hear the most recent releases of our podcast, please head to substantial.com backslash optimistic design. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to Optimistic Design and leave a comment. Join us next time as we continue to take a future focused look at design, ethical innovation, and technology. I'm Wilma Lamb, and I look forward to talking with you again soon.